0: 2 Corinthians, the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3, is described by uh, many scholars as the most difficult of of the passages in Paul. So Paul was a writer uh, whose contemporaries said of him, uh, uh, the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter, there are many passages in Paul that are difficult to understand. (laughs) And uh, it hasn't gotten easier in the intervening 2,000 years. And so this passage is described as being one of, if not, in many people's opinion, the most challenging to understand. And so we're just going to go ahead and start with Paul's conclusion. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 18. We're just going to start at the end. Get this in our minds. Paul's objective. Chapter 3, verse 18, he says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Paul's concern, Paul's objective, what he wants for the Corinthian church through his ministry is to come to trust the Spirit. This comes about from the Spirit to use the Gospel, beholding the glory of the Lord in the New Covenant, in the words of Scripture, to deliver glory... He's going to transform you from one degree of glory to another, to, to deliver glory to you from God. Trust the Spirit to use the gospel. And specifically, it's to trust the Spirit to use the gospel that Paul preaches. I mean, there's a, one way to understand this entire chapter, and kind of what Paul's doing in chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6, is to convince the Corinthian church to believe in his ministry. Just believe in my ministry. He says four times in this time, in these chapters, that he's, uh, he's commending himself to them. He said, I want you to believe in me and the work that I'm doing in my ministry here uh, with you, Corinthians. Trust that the Spirit will use the gospel that Paul preaches to deliver glory to you that will transform your life, despite the fact that Paul looks like Paul. Despite the fact that Paul looks like Paul, and acts like Paul, and talks like Paul, trust the gospel that Paul's preaching. Believe in Paul. Now here's what Paul is concerned about. He's got some concerns about this. First of all, he's concerned about the culture of the Corinthians, the Corinthian culture. Theirs was a culture of fascination with TED Talks and meditation apps. Theirs was a culture where you could have Tony Robbins' Netflix specials and Rachel Hollis' Amazon Prime specials. That was the culture of Corinth. It was a culture of what were called sophists. They were kind of like the TED Talks of their day. And uh, and this fascination, which the West always has, with Eastern mysticism. So for us today, it's Zen Buddhism, it's Hinduism. For them, it was actually Judaism. So we have like... Amulets and silver and copper of just like Hebrew words that we've unearthed like you got to think for for Grecian Roman culture Judaism was just bizarre. Have you ever seen Hebrew? It's so cool, right? So just having the script was like, oh, this is like this is what, what word is this? You know, this is wisdom. Oh, that's what I need for my business. This is healing. That's what I need for, you know, for my my goiter or whatever, you know, like this is what I need. So the Corinthian culture was this marketplace buying and selling ideas. The sophists, the the eastern mysticism, eastern spirituality cults and it created this this marketplace of religious and philosophical ideas as entertainment and personal development. That's a very important thing there. So imagine again your TED talk or your meditation app. Right? It's part entertainment, part improve yourself. Going to be. A, these are very important themes in, in contrast with Paul, who is not entertaining and is not out of, to make you feel better about yourself. So he's worried about the Corinthian culture, this pop intellectualism, this entertainment and personal development. He's also he's worried about the Corinthian church. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 17. So here's where he says, uh, we are not like so many peddlers. That is, uh, we're, not, we're not in the market trying to sell our ideas to you and entertain you and call you over and entice you we're men of sincerity commissioned by God in the sight of God we speak in Christ are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need as some do letters of recommendation to you or from you now the corinthian church and i think we can really appreciate this they wanted like they're they're happy with paul but you want to grow up. You want to graduate. You, now we want a pastor with credentials. Now we want a pastor with a PhD. Now we want, we, this was good for starters, but we want something better. We want somebody who has a letter, whether it was real or not, from James or John or Peter. We want somebody with, with letters after their name. We want somebody who's credentialed, who can give us law who can who can give us things to do we'll talk about that in a minute and these guys are also they're kind of always putting paul down so oh paul did such a great job uh, who did you say he was recommended by oh he didn't he didn't have a letter of recommendation oh that's weird huh just all of these little kind of slights and these little slippery ways of of m- making paul diminish and making his gospel and his message diminish in the eyes of the Corinthian church. So these these guys are there working at the on the Corinthian church. You know they're they're let me just say this too before we go on. So in chapter 3 here there's a lot about Moses and the old covenant. The Corinthians were not going up against uh, the kind of Jewish teachers that you might remember from Galatians. So Jewish teachers who were saying to Gentiles, you Gentiles need to become like Jews. I want you to, again, think of these guys as more of like TED Talk speakers, right? Like they're, they're trying to, to give to a, a, hung, a, a culture hungry for personal improvement and, and upward mobility. They're trying to give them tips and tricks from the Jewish scriptures. They found the secret and it's the book of Proverbs, or they found the secret to, you know, romance, and it's Ruth, or they found the secret to, to being a man, and it's First Samuel, or it's Joshua, they, right? They're, they're trying to kind of sell Judaism as this improvement, as this thing that can make your life better, and also they're easy on the eyes, which doesn't hurt, and this is what Paul's up against here in these teachers. Now, here's the core concern, which is partially a concern and partially just something that is is true, and Paul is actually going to appeal to this, which is, we want glory. We want glory. We want transcendence. We want majesty. We want awe. We want glory. We want to be glorious and for that to happen, we're going to need glory to come to us. I'm going to, I'm going to explain what I'm talking about here. I'm kind of, this is code, I'm going to unpack it. We all want to be better versions of ourselves. But we need somebody who's better than us to help us do this. We need something that's better and bigger and, and can, is glorious that can infuse glory to us and draw glory out of us so that we become more glorious ourselves. We need a glorious presence. A glorious vision, a glorious experience to make us more glorious. This is why cultures have always been fascinated with celebrities. We love celebrities because they're, they're more glorious than you, right? They have a personal trainer, a personal chef, personal tutors, and they have Photoshop. So they are more glorious than we are. And what do they invite us to? They say, I'm more glorious and I can make you more glorious too if you will just bask in the radiance of my glory. There's personalities in our lives. You know, if I could just be more like that guy in sales or I could be more like those people, I just want to get closer to them because they're more glorious and they're going to help me be more glorious. Maybe it's a possession, an achievement, a status symbol, right? If, if I just have a Tesla then everybody will know how glorious I am, right? When I pull up to that stoplight, everybody will know, here's a glorious dude, if I have that Tesla. If I, have that, if I'm a, if I, if I can finally be a C-level leader, C-level suite in my office, in my corporation, then everybody's going to realize I will, have, I will have been the glorious one that I know I can be. Maybe it's education, maybe it's literal letters after your name, it's, uh, finish high school, finish college, get master's degrees, get PhDs. And if I can get all of these things, then the glory that I know is in me will become manifest and people will realize how glorious I am. If I can just get that glory from, from Harvard, if I can just get the glory from Cambridge uh, after my name, then my glory will be exalted. This is also just in a much more regular sense why we turn to media, right? We love music. We love these, these artists, these albums, we love movies, we love the spectacle because, right, you finish watching Captain America, First, Age, First Avenger and how do you feel when you get out of there, right? You feel like, all right, well, I, can, I can do this. We can do this. I can face tomorrow because Steve Rogers did, right? We feel more glorious even though it's such a you know, silly thing, but we do. Media, uh, work, sin, all of these things hold out to us the promise, they promise to give us glory and make us more glorious. Now what is glory? You keep using that word. What is glory? It's a difficult thing. I thought John Piper, for those of you who know uh, kind of like the Christian Christian pastor, celebrity pastor kind of realm. John Piper's the guy who's always talking about glory. Well, he's got to have a definition of glory. I, I, what's John Piper? What's, what's glory? He says, uh, defining the glory of God is impossible. Okay, well, so what is, what is glory? It is difficult because it comes mediated to us. And there's a sense in which the glory of God spilled over and made everything. And so the glory of God is now mediated, radiated to our eyes and to our attention, kind of from a lot of different places. So we use metaphors for it. We talk about light. We talk about power. So God dwells in unapproachable light. You see a sunrise right after the hoarfrost, and you go, oh, it's glorious. The light, the beauty. The... You see something powerful, a giant wave. Uh, you see a rhinoceros running. You think, oh, there's glory there. What? What on earth? So much power. Or we experience it as peace. You, get, you finally get to the ocean. You go, I don't know what it is. It's, just, it's big. It's awesome. It's glorious. And now I can be at rest. Or it gives us joy. Glory, when, when, it, when we encounter it, it invites us. It inspires us. It enlivens us and gives us energy. And glory changes us. When you encounter glory in the world, whether in, again, this vision or, or a presence or uh, this experience, it changes you. You walk away with a sense of hope, right? Steve Rogers can do it, I can do it. You walk away with a sense of clarity. I'm done with that job. I'm going to go on to something more glorious. You You walk away with energy. You walk away with hope. But this glory comes to us. It comes filtered in so many different ways, but... The key idea is that glory is to us, it is a sense of transcendence that transforms us. So now you hear some of the language of 2 Corinthians 3. We want to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. This is what glory does, what we want it to do. It's a sense of transcendence that transforms us. Like, here's an example, the Grand Canyon. Six million people a year from all around the the planet go to visit the Grand Canyon. They've been doing this uh, from before recorded history, not in in those kind of numbers. But everybody who's encountered the Grand Canyon recognizes this is glorious. This is holy ground, right? The, the, The native peoples, this was their holy place, one of their holy places. And they would go down there to be restored. Six million visitors. And why do we go there? Because it is glorious. Because you stand before the Grand Canyon and you are humbled. And you are inspired. You feel yourself small, but you feel yourself energized. You feel refreshed. That experience changes us. But most people see the Grand Canyon from their cars. Most people see the Grand Canyon. Only 1% of people who visit the Grand Canyon Go below the rim. Only one percent of those who visit hike down to the bottom. Now is the Grand Canyon glorious when you see it from the car? Absolutely. But it's not that glorious. You got a bug smear between you and the glory. Right? There's a veil to use the language of Second Corinthians. Why don't people why don't why don't people go in? I visited as a 16-year-old. Uh, You know, I was like, oh, that's really cool. What are we having for lunch? (laughs) You know, I was seeing it from the car. And then I I got to hike it a couple years ago. It was transformative. It was visions of beauty everywhere I turned and glory and majesty that, right, it was transcendence. It was a very different experience. Why do we go in? Because Because real transformation awaits you. Every step down must be met with a step up. 250 people a year are uh, rescued from the Grand Canyon, right? It, it invites us, but real transformation. Here, here's, let me just summarize what Paul's concerned about with the Corinthian church. He's concerned that, his question is, are the Corinthian, is the Corinthian church going to settle for men with letters who give them law? Are they going to settle for, for a less beat-up, less emotional, more well-credentialed teacher who can just give them manageable things, to-dos? They can stay in the air condition of their previous illusions and feel good about themselves with a sense of glory that they're not entering. And we love to-dos. We love letters, we've talked about that, and we love law. We love action points. We love direction, right? To-dos are so helpful because they give us, a, they, they orient us. They give me a sense of whether I'm being a good me or a bad me, right? Did I read my Bible today? I'm a good me. Did I not read my Bible today? I'm a bad me, but I'll make it up tomorrow, right? Now I know how to be a good me and how to fix when I'm a bad me. And they also help me know who's good and who's bad, right? Are you, are You guys are all the Bible-reading people, right? Well, you're good people, and so you better hang out together, right? And then these are all the non-Bible-reading people. You know, let's pray for them. But be careful, right? So we want to keep, it it helps orient us. Law is really useful. It's just not the glory. It's just not what we want. I mean, Paul's primary worry is that they're going to stay in the car. That they're going to stay in the car. And so he makes these claims and he says, All the glory is here. All the glory is here. From God in Christ by the Spirit. All the glory is here. All the glory, all the glory comes from God. This is not taught in here, it is assumed. This is what the Bible teaches. Everywhere that Scripture says. All praise be to you. All glory be to you. It's saying all the glory we see came from you and we just need to recognize it by saying it's yours. James 1.17, every single good and perfect gift that anybody experiences and recognizes comes from the Father of lights, the Father above. It all is God's glory. All the glory comes from God. And now here's to our passage. And all the glory is seen in Jesus Christ. Look with me at verses 7 of chapter 3 to verse 14. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, In this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away? That Jesus Christ is the greater glory. It's kind of fuzzy here, but this is our text, and I wanted to read it. But look across the page of chapter 4, verse 6, where Paul just states this plainly. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. All the glory comes from God, and all the glory of God is seen in Jesus Christ. Now, that passage that I just read refers to a very important Old Testament story. Exodus 32 and 34. There's this moment where, and I don't understand this, God made his presence visible, manifest, on Mount Sinai. Up there, in cloud and smoke, there's fire, there's glory, there's noises, Probably everybody in Israel got the serious heebie-jeebies because we don't know what all, you know, what kind of radiation is coming off of that thing. I mean, everybody's freaking out. Moses goes into it, comes out, and he's glowing. Like literally he absorbs something and he comes down and he scares everybody half to death and he's got to wear a cloth over his face to keep from freaking everybody out when he's around the glory of God on Sinai, and Moses goes up there and absorbs the glory, comes down. Now I want you to understand. Paul's referring to that because there is no more single glorious moment in all human history before Christ. That is the, the moment when the most glory is present on planet Earth before the birth of Jesus. the marketplace of Corinthian ideas. The marketplace of Corinthian TED Talks and and, and meditation apps cannot compare to that moment at all. But he says that glory was veiled and we know from the story of the Old Testament was removed. But now in Jesus Christ it is on full permanent display. All the glory comes from God. All the glory is seen in Christ. And it all comes to us by the work of the Spirit of God. Look at uh, all the references to the Spirit here. Verse 3, You're a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Verse 6, God has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 8, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? And of course, verses 17 and 18, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 18 ends, This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It all comes about by the work of the Holy Spirit. So I I want to describe something to you that's really extraordinary. So, all the glory is God's. And it all shines from the face of Jesus Christ. But the Spirit does something extraordinary. The Spirit creates a portal. The Spirit creates a portal whereby the glory of God which is shining in the face of Jesus Christ gets seen when people hear the gospel. You see what just happened there? Christ gets seen in His full glory when people hear a little guy like Paul tell them about Jesus. How does that work? Because the Spirit is in it. Because the Spirit takes the vision of Christ and brings it down into our ears that we hear it but we see Christ and he takes it straight down there into our hearts Paul says and our hearts are changed and not only are our hearts changed but he says at the end you get the impact of what he's saying in verse 18 we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next and this comes about from the Lord who's the spirit he's saying that the spirit is at work in you turning you into a Moses-like figure He's at work so that your face shines, your life shines with the glory of God. The the most extraordinary experience that any human has before meeting Jesus, the Old Testament Moses absorbing the glory, freaking everybody out, is now available to all of us by the work of the Spirit. Would you rather have been there at Sinai And seen Moses? Or would you rather hear somebody tell you the gospel of Jesus? And Paul's saying that latter thing is where you get the full glory of God, undiluted, uninhibited. That is much more exceedingly surpassing even that great experience. So, all the glory is here. It's all here. What does that mean about the Corinthian church, or the Corinthian culture, and and these lettermen with their laws? What does it mean about it? It means that there's no glory over there. It's all here, and not any of it over there. So what does this mean for our lettermen? What What does it mean that... These guys, what are they doing? They're peddling something. They think they're peddling God's word. He says, no, they're selling veils. They're selling veils. Moses, Paul says, look at me, verses uh, 14 and 16 at the end here. Moses wore a veil, not because he he was trying to hide the glory, but because Israel didn't want to see it. Their minds were hardened. End of verse 16. In verse 15, To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. They had hardened minds, hardened hearts. So the veil symbolizes unbelief. Maybe a better way to say that is it symbolizes belief in yourself. That you, you, if you could just get the right teachers, could find the right way to be the right you. And you don't need the Spirit. You don't need the gospel. And you sure don't need Paul. But the veil thickens. The veil thickens. Paul says, what we thought was glorious, we thought it was going to be glorious, but it doesn't work. It came to an end. It makes us feel worse. It condemns. And it brings us to despair. He says, this is going to kill you. You give yourself to it, and death is at the end. And so... In a nutshell, quit those glories, trust this gospel. Quit those glories, trust this gospel. You can't cook food over a fire that is gone out. There is no other glory besides Christ's. All other glories are far exceeded. They're so far exceeded that Paul says they become no glories. But this gospel, it changed your heart. And it's transforming your life. Beholding the glory of the Lord. This is going to work for you. It's going to work for you. And it's going to work through you. And it's going to work for them. Listen to this. Poorly explained Christ transforms. Well-explained law ruins. Let me say that again. Poorly explained Christ transforms. Well-explained law ruins. Here's the Apostle Paul. We're like, oh, he's amazing. He wasn't amazing. The Corinthians were trying to upgrade ASAP from this guy. A lot of us feel like that. We watch the TED Talks. We We see these professional speakers and we think I I can never explain the gospel the way that that person does I don't have the right story I don't have the right words I'm going to screw it up listen poorly explained Christ will transform people's lives and the sophists and the TED talks and the positive energy speakers who are just extraordinary public speakers and make you laugh and cry and hurl right those guys do not, they, they don't work. They won't do it. And you know why? Because it's the Spirit that makes the difference. You and me, we're not good at talking the words about Jesus. And we get into situations where we know we should say something and we feel like knuckleheads. And we get all red-faced and hot and you know and we're worried and we start well and and are you do you church do you, are you a are you a church bible reader you know and we start doing this the spirit is there the spirit is going it doesn't it doesn't he doesn't say the spirit is going to make you an amazing public speaker it says the spirit is going to work the spirit is going to work i mean paul paul in a sense is just saying listen take Take Jesus seriously. And take the Spirit seriously. And take the Gospel seriously. That this is really where the glory is and where the power is. And take the Apostle Paul seriously. You know, again, believe in Paul. Believe in Paul's ministry. Because if, if you can believe in Paul's ministry, you can believe in your own ministry. Because it's the Spirit that makes the difference. I love the world i love the world the world is glorious i love art i love music i love sports and hustle and and success stories i love stillness i love being on the boat in the early morning at dawn i love noise i love loud concerts and and games and celebrations i love poetry i love laughter I love glory. We love glory. You love these things too. But when I go into the world for glory, when I go into the world for transformation, when I go into those things saying, heal me, give me life that I don't have apart from you, I'm always disappointed. I'm always sad. There's always sand in my trunks after I leave the beach. Because you have to leave... Right? Or it gets old. I saw that one. I heard that song. Next month, there's another glossy magazine. There's another summer blockbuster coming next summer. There's another bestseller coming at you. Another me- measurable, achievable goal. Listen, I love TED talks. <laughs> I do. But if you try to watch them all, there's 2,600 TED talks, 50,000 plus TEDx talks. You will destroy yourself under the law of self-improvement and veiled glory. You will die. The world will not transform you. It does not love you. It does not work. But how do we live in this world, right? But, but if we go into life, what does he say here? Verse 16, when one turns to the Lord. Go into life turning to the Lord. Looking for Christ. Listening for the gospel. When we do that, the Spirit makes all the difference. You know, I'm not saying just read your Bible all day, right? Even I can't read my Bible all day. But I can turn to the Lord who is the Spirit at every turn. And that's what Paul's encouraging us to do. Chapter 3, verse 16, to conclude. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Christ will, by the Spirit, remove the veil. He will disillusion you of yourself and He will save you. So behold His glory, hear this gospel, and be transformed. Go deeper into the land of the gospel where there are infinite glories and infinite delights. Did you know that the Grand Canyon is the size of Rhode Island? That there are over a thousand caves that we know of, and only a three hundred of them have been explored? Friends, there's there's gold in them there hills. Is gold and glory in the gospel because Christ is there and the Spirit is at work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this world. Your glory comes to us diffused through it and we, we see beauty we see majesty, we see power, we see quiet, and we see noise, and we are thrilled. We are thrilled to live in the good world that you have made. Yet we know that all of these things, even in their best forms, they're but the, the outer fringes of you. And you call us, you, you call us to come in. And so, Lord, we're here this morning, by virtue of gathering and assembling, we're here to say, The world is no glory for us, but you have all the glory. And you have what we need, you have what we want, so help us. And Lord, we turn ourselves now over to the Spirit, over to your loving, wise, powerful work. And we ask that you would help us to remember the Spirit, to remember the gospel. As we go about our days, go about our lives, that we would not put our hope in any other glory, that we would hope in you. We are so thankful for all that you have done for us in bringing us to Jesus. And so now, Lord, we we turn ourselves toward him. We ask that you take away the veil. We ask that you transform us into that same image of glory. In his name we pray. Amen.